Welcome to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Ashton. Father-son fun talk on sports, life, and friendship. Coming up on episode 33, a late night delivery of savory sports talk. We'll go one-on-one and best of with all sports radio legend, Storm and Norm Rumack. Mother May I? Father-son free-for-all will go gold, silver, bronze for famous sports moms. And we'll head for home on episode 33 with our special segments, All Pro Go, a Did You Know Sports Spotlight, and Champs and Chums personal salutes to our stars on and off the field. That's all coming up on episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Champs and Chums. Happy May, everybody. We hope you're doing well. It's Anthony and Ashton here. It's episode 33. So glad that you're with us here. And uh, it's now my pleasure. It's now my privilege to uh, bring into the show my forever champ and chum, Ashton. Ashton, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. How about you? I am doing magnificent for this May. Uh, lots of things going on. And uh, so glad that you're with us. Uh you know, it's amazing, right? I mean, it seems like the temperatures are getting a little bit warmer for the good, right? And uh, the days uh, seem to be a little bit longer as well, too. What do you say, Ashton? Yeah, you're definitely right on that point. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's been nice, right? We've been doing a lot of things. And, uh, you know, let, let's kind of recap and, and summarize some, some of the fun things that uh, we've been doing. I mean, you know, this is a... Uh, father-son fun talk about sports life and friendship so why don't we start off with one of our favorite sports one of our favorite teams the Toronto Maple Leafs now we we say this with a little bit of sadness of course as well too because um the the Maple Leafs season is officially over um but you know they they battled hard against the Tampa Bay Lightning uh took them to seven games Ashton what was kind of your feeling about the the series itself and and how the Leafs afforded themselves. Well, the Leafs did amazing uh, holding up against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And um, I I just felt from game one that and game two that um, it was going to be a pattern. So let's say the, the Leafs did win uh, game one and Tampa Bay won game two. And that was the pattern till game seven. And... Uh, then we unfortunately lost. Yeah, well, that's a very, uh, very solid analysis there for sure. The series went back and forth. You could probably cut the tension with a hacksaw, uh, hacksaw blade. Uh, everybody, um, you know, seeing how the team performed against, as you said, a two-time defending champion. I mean, um, I guess it's a bottom line business though, eh, Ashton? I mean, here we are again talking about the first round exit for our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, 18 years 
uh, since uh, two well two thousand and four since the the lease last moved on. So uh, you know I, I um, was uh, an avid observer of some of the post game um, interviews uh, and just before the um, uh, the players sort of went off their way for their for their uh, for the summer. And uh, you could tell that it hurt. It hurt pretty deep, uh, Ashton, right? But, um, uh, but let, it all, in all this frenzy of Leafs playoff mania, something special happened here to your champs and chumps. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of say it was game five. Ashton, did you want to share with the, with the fans uh, um, what happened in terms of game five, the Leafs in Tampa? Well, we actually went to that game, so... Um... I believe it was like a Wednesday, I believe. It was a Tuesday night. Oh, yeah, Tuesday. And um, it was an amazing experience. My first playoff game and my dad's first playoff game as a fan, uh, when he was working with the Leafs, he's gone through playoffs. So, um, well, Never in the seats. So it was just a beautiful father-son moment to share with you. But describe for the fans the atmosphere, you know? I mean... You've been to a, a couple regular seasons games in the past, actually a preseason game as well, but you never went to a Leaf playoff game. Describe for the fans the atmosphere, the frenzy as it was down at Scotiabank Arena, even just walking into the building. Well, the atmosphere was great. I mean, people were chanting Go Leafs Go, and um, funny story, there's a, this guy with a Boston um, uh, jersey on, and uh, they all trash-talked him. Well, he went into enemy territory. So, yeah, Ashton, that was a great memory you have there. Everybody was in jubilation, tons of ovations as we were leaving Scotiabank Arena after that come-from-behind, everybody, 4-3 victory on the shoulders of Austin Matthews scoring the game-winning goal. You're right, we're exiting, we're, we're walking through Maple Leaf uh, Square there, right? And uh, that guy went into enemy territory. Mm-hmm. He that, definitely did. With that jersey on. But anyhow, Boston exited in the first round. The Leafs are out. But I'm so glad that we were able to share that special experience. And uh, it's amazing what two and a half hours can do to uh, to really um, uh, create memories. And uh, what do they always say? Uh, Leafs forever, Ashton? Mm-hmm. That, that certainly was a memory forever as well, too. Well, let's uh, let's keep going here, right? Because there were a lot of other fun things. But actually, you know what? Let's 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 step back on this one and let's create a center stage, a spotlight. Because one of our founding contributors, right, from Champs and Chums, everybody, celebrated an absolute milestone birthday. Ashton, why don't you share with the the fans uh, a little bit about a special special birthday this month? Well, uh, one of our power girls, Serena, turned 18 this May. 18 years old. What a milestone. And uh, yeah, uh, what did you want to say to Serena? Because, you know, not only does she help us produce the show, she uh, she probably listens as well, too, once it goes live. Well, uh, Serena, thank you for all your help um, with the podcast. You've been a great help and support from the start. And there's many big things ahead to come for you and your success. So happy 18th birthday, Serena. Well, that's really nice of you to say, Ashton. And you're right. uh, Such a dynamic her and uh, her sidekick, Ashley, there. 
big things happening and Serena looking forward to celebrating graduation from high school in the coming days your big decision on where you'll be going to university uh, we're, we're just so happy for you and we know that the future is so bright for you so thank you very much um ashton lots of other fun uh, father-son things that we've been doing um we um we've been trying to get into the swing of things with golf why don't you talk a little bit about that yeah well um the first time we went in may it was actually very nice outside and me and my dad hit a few good ones, but... Um, you were pretty good there, that, that, that first time we went out to the uh, Brampton driving range. Well, there was Saturday, where there was a storm um, that blew by, just like a mini Hurricane Katrina. Um, and we were golfing on that day, so... Um, we were at the driving range for sure, and then as we saw, the, 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 eye, the sky started to look a bit ominous. Little did we know that it would open up so quickly, and uh, yeah, it was a race for the car, and um, safely we, we got we got there. But what an adventure that was, Ashton. Yeah, it was a crazy adventure that I'll never forget, and as my dad said, I'll live to tell the tale. Well, you certainly you certainly did. You certainly do, and and we're, we now have to take all that good, those two, those, well, there was only a couple times we've been out to the driving range, but I'm hopeful we can get out actually onto the golf course soon. What do you say? Yeah, hopefully soon. Yeah, it'll be nice to tee it up and uh, once the weather uh, gets a lot better and, and such like that. Um, now let's talk a little bit about another fun activity here in the city of Brampton. We seem to be bouncing around at your request, Ashton. Yeah, so um, on Sunday we went to Aerosports. Yeah, at the time of the recording, this would have been, uh, I guess, a few a few days back, right? But yep. describe uh, Aerosport, uh, and, and it, was, it was great to meet some of the owners there as well, too. So shout out now that we think they're friends of the show now, uh, the folks at, uh, at Aerosport Brampton. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And um, also, um, to mention, I saw some people from my school. Um, oh, that, that you, you want to shout out to any of your chums there? That's right, there uh, it was 4B uh, four was there. Yep, so shout out to Chloe, Kayla, Shirai, Elvin, Emma, all uh, my four, my 4B chums. Well, you got a great set of chums there on, on, on both sides of the ledger. And what I mean by that, I guess because your class is split, right? There's 4A and 4B. But yeah, it was nice to... Uh, to see some of your chums there and they were having a whale of a time jumping around as well too yep they were well and so well ashton um lots of sports um i mean even just for one special moment for dear old dad i was able to enjoy one of my favorite artists john mayer it was the first time i've been back to a live concert and it, it must have been almost three years um but what a great time that was um but you actually had a chance to um, to try out a little bit, lot more of NHL 22. Yeah, I did, and um, I downloaded it um, after we just played hockey, actually, uh, in in May, and it's actually a really good game. Graphics are good, and I think really the only change they made is like make it more high-tech, and also add X-Factors, which is like their special special ability. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I, I know you, uh, you you really took it to me, right? Just as, as some may remember, we had that YouTube father-son challenge in, in, in uh, gaming, NHL 21. 
I was soundly defeated by Ashton. Ashton, I can't remember the score. Nine to one. Oh, you remember the score. Well, I'm trying to erase it from all of my memory. Um, I didn't have any luck in NHL 22, everybody. It, um, I believe the score was 14 to nothing. Ashton, can you confirm that? Yeah. Okay. No, wait, wait, wait. I think it was like, maybe like even like 20 nothing. I oh, 20 nothing. Yeah, so 20 it was nothing. actually, it was almost three, three touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, well, listen, there's been a lot of sports going on, Ashton, right? We, we're, we're in the heart of the NHL playoffs and the coming days at the time of this recording. Um, you know, we're close to the semifinals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're close to the NBA finals. There's golf on the on the television, baseball. The You know, we're, we're, we're seeing the Jays that are trying to rebound after a bit of a sluggish um, start to the season. So there's a lot of sports talk going on right and there's nothing better to talk sports when you have a very special guest coming up on the show that is a legend a best of guest um ashton tell all the fans who's coming up on episode 33 well we have the legendary night sports broadcaster the late night vampire storm and norm rumack is coming up on episode 33 of champs and chums now that is a great get anybody that's listened to all sports radio here in our country had knows the name storm and norm rumack he uh lit up the airwaves as ashton said um with late night sports talk and um I've been very fortunate, not only just obviously being a big fan of him as as he was introduced to the fan, the fan 1430 as it turned into then the 590, but I mean, I grew up listening to Norm. This was even before I knew him, Ashton. So to be able to chase my dreams, um, you know, go to school, get your education, work hard, be respectful, all the things we talk about on Champs and Chums, and then to be able to to work and and serve uh, Norm Rumack, be a guest on his show, it was a dream come true. So to have him on the our show on Champs and Chums is another dream that has come true. And he's uh, just a legend uh, in terms of sports late night talk. And Ashton, we're, we're honoring him right now. We, we um, uh, we're coming to you. We're powered here uh, over the airwaves, the radio broadcast airwaves, if you will. But we've got a you've got a special T-shirt on right now in honor of our special best of guest. Yeah, I have the Hammerhead Alert shirt on from uh, Norm's late night talking, and uh, he used to do Hammerhead Alerts. So he gave these shirts to many famous sports players. Like Wayne Gretzky, Shaquille Allen O'Neal, Iverson, just to name a few. The answer, Allen Iverson, Paul Molitor, Hall of Famer, Cal Ripken, the Iron Man. I mean, Norm has, uh, has, has talked to, connected, and met uh, some real luminaries in, in, uh, in sports. So yeah, Norm Rumack, Storm and Norman Rumack coming up on episode 33, our best of segment. Good stuff, Ashton. Well, listen, let's um, segue into a very fun uh, father-son free-for-all segment. And, you know, um, May is a beautiful month, and it's extra beautiful because it's Mother's Day. So we want to salute all the all-star moms who do such a great job 
um, inspiring their kids. And it's, it's, it's not just moms, it's moms, it's aunts, it's grandmas, it's, uh, moms to be, it's, um, mother figures as well, too. You all have a special place in the hearts of many, especially, uh, young, young people who are, uh, looking for that great inspiration. So shout out to all those, uh, super moms out there. We hope you've had a, a great day, a great month, and, uh, it's going to be some great weather to enjoy with the family. Um, but uh, yeah, to bring it back now, Ashton, let's shine a spotlight. And I thought it would be really fun if you and I had a chance to share with the listeners our f- gold, silver, bronze for famous sports moms. Okay, Ashton, over to you with your bronze medal. So my bronze medal is Tom Brady's mom, Galen Patricia Brady. Well, what an all-star choice that is as well, too. Um, Galen Patricia Brady, the the uh, the mother of the legendary, and I'm not just going to call him a legendary football player. He's a legendary sports athlete, uh, Ashton. That's a great selection. And uh, do you know a little bit more about uh, about Galen? Yeah. So. Um... She was born July 4th, actually, a day before me, uh, 1994. Well, that's great. She's, so, and she's 75 years old, I believe. Yep. And uh, she was born in Minnesota, and her nationality is American. And she had to raise four kids, uh, Maureen uh, Brady being the eldest, Julie Brady being the second daughter, Nancy Brady being the youngest daughter, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Tom Brady, the youngest child and the only son. That's great stuff. So that's Ashton's bronze medal for famous sports moms. It's Galen Brady. Good stuff. Well, it's over to dad now for my bronze medal, and I'm actually going to move on to the silver screen, Ashton, because my bronze medal is her name as a famous sports mom is Leanne Tui. Now, Ashton, you might ask me, who is Leanne Tui? Well, I actually have no idea. Well, I'll tell you. A very, very special all-star mom, Leanne Tui, because she um, was the stepmom for Michael Orr. And you remember the movie, the famous movie, The Blind Side? Oh, yeah. Sandra Bullock played the role of Leanne Tui, who was the inspirational mom who believed in this in this kid, uh, uh, Michael Orr, and, uh, you know, took him out of poverty, um, refused to um, listen to the community when they said this boy couldn't play for reasons which included his, his race as well, too. Um, this is an incredible sports mom. The real, the real Sandra Bullock, I guess you could say. Leanne Tui was the stepmom who did it all. And that amazing story of Michael, Michael Orr, who um, basically was brought out of, of poverty, uh, having someone like her, Leanne, to believe in him, getting him all the necessary supports, encouragement, the um, good coaching to make him not only just an athlete, um, Ashton, but a student athlete, a, a good a good one that put education 
at the forefront as well. And uh, of course, the great story of Michael Orr, who ended up going on to play professionally as well, too. So that's my bronze medal for famous sports moms. That's Leanne Tui. Ashton, over to you with your silver medal. My silver medal is Emma Matthews. Now, is that the famous sports mom of um, Big Poppy? Yes, it is. The famous sports mom of uh, of Tone? Yes, it is. Of Maddie? Yes, it is. Wow. Well, she is very special. Why don't you tell the fans a little bit more about Emma Matthews? So, Emma Matthews' uh, mother, or Austin Matthews, sorry, uh, mother, uh, she was a flight attendant uh, oh. from her Hermosillo, Mexico, um, where she met um, Austin Matthews' dad, and she had to do lots and lots of work to make Austin uh, the way he is today, and you, you guys should... You guys should really watch the All or Nothing Toronto Maple Leaf series. It's a good, really good series, and um, uh, Austin Matthews talks about uh, more of his personal life and his. His mom's in that. Yep, and I think his like, I I'm not sure. His favorite dish was like a chicken tortilla soup or something like that. That's right. That's right. You have a good memory, and I'm sure that was some nice homemade soup made by Emma Matthews. Uh, and, and that and that real um, the Spanish background comes out in Austin too with that with that wonderful mustache, right? That uh, that big poppy parades around in. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I can tell you that first game that Austin Matthews uh, played against the Ottawa Senators. Of course, everybody, Ashton, you know this. He had a huge game. He scored four goals. Yep. In his first NHL game, and they all they went to shots of Emma Matthews, who was there with uh, his dad uh, as well too, uh, Ashton, and uh, she looked just so proud. And uh, that's a salute to Emma Matthews. And there's Ashton showing me some visuals, actually, of that famous moment where Austin, you know, uh, potted in four goals in his debut, and a, a real proud mom there. Good stuff, everybody. Well, now it's Dad's turn for um famous sports moms and i'm gonna actually keep it in the hockey hockey rink ashton because my bronze my silver medal for famous sports mom is phyllis leon hawking hawking do you know that one ashton no i don't that's right well um i can tell you something right right now uh that is wayne gretzky's mom oh phyllis gretzky uh, you know sadly pa- passed away but uh, phyllis gretzky was born october the 14th 1941 in paris ontario and, and married uh, walter gretzky who uh, sadly passed away too had the the real privilege and honor of uh, meeting walter on on uh, on multiple occasions um but yeah, so there's another example. You talk about dedicated hockey mom, uh, Phyllis Gretzky. Um, you know, the to to be such a sensational player, and to be able to take your game to to, to levels you, you you knew you had. You need the support of uh, of your parents, right? Including Phyllis Gretzky. So there's a famous famous mom, uh, Phyllis Gretzky. And also, um. There's this Tim Hortons ad um, after the show we should watch 
Um, it's a very good one on Wayne Gretzky, and um, they said that he was a kid who, when his dinner was ready, and it was winter, he was playing outside on his hockey rink, he needed five more minutes, and that tells you how much heart he had to play the game and look where it took him. Well, you're right. And so shout out to uh, the waner, as it were, uh, probably the all-time great in the sport of hockey, but you can tell uh, it's uh, through the magic and the support of a mother like Phyllis that uh, she uh, he was able to excel as, as far as he did. Good stuff. All right. Well, we're down to the uh, primetime selections. It's our gold medal selections for famous sports moms. And Ashton, it's over to you for your gold medal. My gold medal is Serena Williams. What an amazing a championship selection, Ashton. And, and you're right. I mean, um, a champion um, on the court, but obviously um, such a greater, greater reward, I'm sure, it was becoming a mom for her. Yeah, and it was. She gave uh, birth to Alexis Olympia. and um, That's a really cool name. Yeah, it is a really Alexis cool name. Alexis Olympia. And um, Serena Williams has had many, many um, awards, and she's inspired many women around the world to believe in yourself that you can do anything with power and grit. So she's had... Four gold medals in the Olympic Games. Um, yeah, keep see. going. Run through that resume because obviously that's a reflection uh, of what she's done on, on the court, but which many people know. But yeah, I mean, to talk and feature uh, Alexis, that's another important uh, uh, part of her success as well. All right. So she's had many, many accomplishments like the Fed Cup, Hopping Cup, Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, uh, Tour Finals, Olympic Games, U.S. Open, Wimbledon again, French Open again, Australian Open again, and that is a lot and a lot of games. And I can tell you, right, obviously traveling and, and being in the tennis world as well too, they're all independent contractors, they come with their... Uh, a lot, especially if you're you're bigger on the tour, you you, you come with your entourage. Yep. So I mean, I I I've seen, heard, and read of uh, you know Alexis, of course, joining uh, Serena on tour, right? I mean, she's got to spend time with uh, with mom, right? Yep. So uh, good stuff. Well, that's Ashton's gold medal. A great champion, a great mom, Serena Williams. Uh, good stuff. Well, now it's time for my. Um, uh, gold medal and I'm going to actually keep it in the tennis court as well too Ashton and you know this person that I'm going to salute as my gold medalist for famous sports moms because she was our episode 21 guest that's right everybody Canadian Tennis Hall of Famer Alexandra Wozniak is my gold medal and um, you know Obviously, uh, Alexandra's career uh, uh, playing as a pro was uh, so decorated. I mean, she achieved a career best of number 21 in the world, Fed Cup captain. Um, she actually competed and, and uh, defeated Serena Williams en, en route to her, her, um, uh, her win in Stanford in 2008, Ashton. So it's kind of all matches up here in episode 33. 
um, you know, big, amazing junior career. But I can tell you, and, and knowing Alexandra and working with her for, geez, it was almost six years, I can tell you um, there is no greater satisfaction and no greater gift than, than she um, uh, received than when uh, her son, her first child, James, came into the world. And now James is just 10 months old, uh, Alexandra celebrated her very first Mother's Day this month. And so we want to shout out to our champ and chum, Alexandra Wozniak. We hope you had an amazing, happy Mother's Day. James is adorable. Ashton, what do you want to say to Alexandra? Because we know she's a big fan of the show. Well, Alexandra, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you're an amazing tennis player and you have inspired many girls around the world to try their you know tennis skills and see how far how far they can get and uh you have done just amazing inspiring many many people all-star athlete all-star mom great way to end this segment uh well ashton you're gonna take us to break on episode 33 this ends our father-son free-for-all segment. More father-son fun talk coming up. You're listening to the Champs and Chums podcast. Father-son fun talk. You're listening to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. And Ashton, it's now time for a next edition of of our best of segment. And what a star guest we have for our fans this month. Hey Ashton, I got two questions for you, my man. Are you ready to deliver some late night talk on episode 33? Sure am. Are you ready to storm the airwaves here on Champs and Chums? Of course. Well, our very special guest is a world famous all sports radio personality who has many a fan. For over 20 years, he entertained legions of listeners with scintillating sports knowledge, extraordinary opinion, and high-octane sports talk. Our special guest made vocation his vacation. He graduated with a master's degree in radio and television from the prestigious S.I. Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. His resume in media is illustrious with key roles representing Sports Radio The Fan, Sirius XM Radio, CTV National News, Canada AM, NextSportsStar.com, and the television classic Don Cherry's Grapevine. Famously known as the Late Night Vampire and world famous with sports celebrities for his hammerhead alerts, our special guest continues to exhibit his broadcast know-how. You can now hear him, and see him on Facebook Live as a weekly show co-host. He is also a sports insider for a series of shows online at the Fired Up Network. Our best of guest has been a champ and chum for years, and over his decorated career he has helped many aspiring broadcasters with encouraging support and sage advice. Ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to be joined by late-night sports broadcasting legend, Storm and Norm Rumack. Norm, welcome to Champs and Chumps. <laughs> Boy, I've got big shoes to fill to live up to all of that stuff. And uh, Ashton, you just uh, your dad just gave you a, a classic example of how to handle a guest as you grow into the industry. And 
uh, we, we're a little bit try to be funny about it and a little bit cynical, but it's always, and Anthony and did a beautiful job, uh, Ashton, is like, we joke about it, but it's always good to butter up your guests. You know what I mean by butter <laughs> up? It's like, say the best things you can come up with about them, because then they'll tell you anything you want to know. Well, I, t- <laughs> I tell you, my friend, it's the real McCoy, every word of it, because uh, you are a, a sports night broadcasting legend. It's so great for you to take time to spend time with us here on episode 33 this is a capital b best of segment and um you know it's it's a treat for ashton because i've regaled him in many stories as we talked about off the air on on knowing you knowing you for geez it's got to be almost two decades now um so it's a treat for ashton but it's an extra treat for dad here because uh you know you're a great champ and chum and uh you've been so so helpful um, and so supportive of the different um, career spot stops in sports that I've made and uh, to, to be on the show. And also to tell you, Norm, here on, on, on Champs and Chums, I was such a big fan of yours just in university. I mean, I had my... My nose to the to the to the homework when I was York University, but I had the radio dial tune and my my ears always peeled to listen to your show because you just brought so much joy and entertainment to me. So I want to let you know that. Thanks. Well, I hope I, I didn't cost you any marks on your papers. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I always felt bad because I know I had school kids even listening to the show. Right. And they're supposed to be asleep. Mind you, when I was a kid, I did the same thing. And my parents, you know, assumed I was sleeping and. Back then, there was no sports radio. It was you know I was a big music junkie. My my first goal was to be a disc jockey playing music, right? So I'd I'd be listening to 1050 Chum when it was top 40 hits radio, and uh, those guys were my idols. I always wanted to be the next one. So uh, almost I ended up veering into sports, but yeah, that's where I got my love for radio was listening to rock and roll top 40 radio on 1050 Chum and. Uh, those guys were, I knew when I was nine years old, I wanted to work in front of a microphone and those guys inspired me. I just, uh, that's why I, you know, can recite so much music from the sixties and seventies. Cause that was basically, uh, I was like a radio junkie, you know, a sports junkie too, of course, watching leaf games, Argo games, you know, especially in the sixties, there was only the two teams, right? Uh, I even went to a triple a Toronto Maple Leafs game for my 12th birthday, just before the team folded. Oh, wow. They were for people who have no familiarity with what I'm talking about. There was a baseball Toronto Maple Leafs. They played, they played in the international league. It was triple a level. They were a farm team. At least when I was, you know, at that young age, they were a farm team of the Boston Red Sox. Right. And a couple of their guys went on to play in the major leagues. But I remember, my 12th birthday, I'm sitting in the front row at an empty, it's called Maple Leaf Stadium. It was right by the lakeshore. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I think whoever they were playing, maybe it was Rochester, the Rochester Red Wings, one of the ball players, because we were in the front row and there weren't too many people there. And it was like, the ball, one of the ball players was talking to me and my buddy. I was like so thrilled. <laughs> wow, here's a real baseball player talking to us. And yeah. it's like, I didn't know who he was, you know. I wish I could remember, but he was talking to us, and we were, oh, my, we felt like the cat's meow. But like I said, I, I don't think there was even 200 people in the ballpark because everybody in the team knew this was uh, this was May of 67, actually. Everybody knew the team was leaving, I guess, or folding. So I'll never forget that. We got a baseball, and 
I'll never forget a ball player talking to me and my buddy. Like, wow, what yeah. a thrill at that age, you know? Isn't, anyway. isn't that amazing? And, uh, you know, the yeah. Stormin one, Stormin Norman is in fine form right off the top of the show here, everybody. And, you know, that's what's so great and beautiful in, in, in talking to you is that uh, you do such a great dr- job in terms of description for the audience and our fans are going to get a real treat here as we get into the show. So good stuff. Well, uh, Norm, it's a dad over here on the left of the microphone and um, you started to get into it. Actually, Uh, we, the fans would love to know to just take us through your early interest and ambitions to get into sports broadcasting. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, okay. So as a kid, I was like diehard, diehard Leafs fan. Um, you know, it was a big treat when I, especially when I was like elementary school, like we're talking like grade one, grade two, I could stay up, you know, my brothers used to babysit and my, you know, mom and dad, there's three boys. So I was the youngest. And then I'd be allowed on Saturday night for the, the, the leaf game. I'd be allowed to stay up. Oh, I'm trying to think. You know, I remember as young as maybe the, uh, the second maybe period, the maybe, second, maybe to the end of the second period oh, okay. yeah, it would have been probably about because the games back then started at eight o'clock on yeah. TV. That's right. Uh, eight thirty, actually, this is when the broadcast eight thirty. Yeah, the broadcast came on and then a few years later, they started. I, I don't I guess they were worried about attendance. So they never started. The, the games would come on near the end of the first period and Bill and Foster Hugh would give you the score. And there was usually like a couple of minutes left in the first period. And I guess that way the Maple Leafs didn't have to worry about people, you know, not buying tickets, right? Because you, otherwise you'd miss the first period. So anyway, I'd be allowed to stay up to the end of the, maybe the second period, let's say around nine o'clock, nine thirty. And for playoff games, I had to really lobby my parents so I could stay up a little bit later, but <laughs> a couple of times, and this is when they were winning Stanley cups, I'm pretty sure 63, 64 with my brother, my brother's babysitting. I snuck out of my bedroom and sat on the stairs uh, like it was like a two-level house so I could hear the TV with the call of the, the Leafs game. And then by their fourth cup, 67, I was 12, so I was old enough to watch all the games and stay up. And But, yeah, it was uh, it was a real privilege. A couple times a year, my dad get tickets, and we'd go down to the games. And, uh, wow, it was a different uh, – a different time uh, you could smoke in the arena. I remember you'd go into the, uh, you probably remember Anthony, like uh, uh-huh. in, the, in the areas outside of the seating and the intermissions, everybody would be smoking. I mean, it would be like cumulus clouds of smoke. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't a smoke. I didn't become a smoker. Thank God. But uh, I remember, here I am at 67. Thank God I never developed any lung disorders. Mind you, I wasn't down there all the time, but I would go to the Marley games I remember I, I felt like a big shot because it, at the uh, Canadian National Exhibition, as a kid, you could get these $1 off, and the, the tickets were $2. They'd give you $1 off, and it's like they give you for the whole season. So you felt like a big shot because you had your Marlboro season tickets. <laughs> and I mean, like I said, it was for a dollar off, right? And But, yeah, we were called Marley Boosters. And the Marleys, you know, basically was the same jersey as the Maple Leafs. They belonged. This is before the labor laws kicked in. The Marlboros were the property of the Maple Leafs. Like, doesn't matter. Like, they were 16, 17. Anybody who played for the Marlboros, the Maple Leafs owned them or their rights. 
And, you know, the Montreal Junior Canadiens were owned by the Montreal Canadiens. The Ottawa Generals were owned by the Boston Bruins. The Kitchener Rangers were owned by the New York Rangers. The St. Catharines Blackhawks were owned by the Chicago Blackhawks. And the Hamilton Red Wings were owned by the Detroit Red Wings. Now, when the labor laws changed, then you couldn't own someone, you know, who was under 18. Like, at 18, you can serve, God forbid, in a war for your country. Mm -hmm. So then you could be drafted, so to speak, to play or to work in business or in professional sports but that changed so that they didn't want you know they they didn't want kids you know like it would be a violation of modern labor laws for kids to be contracted to a big business when they're under 18 so that's what changed all of that but as a kid when this was still in effect it was a thrill for us i mean you get seven ten twelve thousand down for a marlboro's or marley's game and we knew that, you know, those guys were the future Maple Leafs. And, you know, just the difference in the crest was they had the big crown. like The a, crown, yeah. The, the big crown in the middle of the, the Maple Leaf crest instead of Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, they would, and the difference uh, from being at a Marley game, another difference. And uh, the Maple Leafs, you know, the ownership was smart. So at a Leaf game, you'd have organ music or piped in. You know what what older folks would like to hear, right? They used to have an organ and a band. I don't remember so much about it. I think maybe my first couple of years I might have seen that on a on the in the where the north and south mezzanines were. And then for but for the Marley games, they play the music I listened, like rock and roll music, right? During the intermissions. We loved it. So all the music we were hearing on radio, all the band, you know, the Beatles and the Beach Boys, everything we liked. And to show you how different it was, I remember what they did was they'd have girls uh, dancing on a, like a little platform during the intermissions uh -huh. called go-go girls. Cause they, they were, the fashion was go-go boots. They were white leather boots. Yeah. So they'd be dancing to whatever big rock and roll songs. And then the guys it was mostly guys watching the games. They would vote for their favorite dancer. So they had, you know, like stuff like that was like, that was just part of the routine, but they made it, you know, for us kids, it was fun. And I'll just tell you, I know I'm, uh, you know me, I talk too much, but in this case, maybe it'll be kind of No, no, keep you. going. It's great insights for the listeners, uh, Norm. So, you know, the, the Marleys were like, you know, I felt the same way about them as the Maple Leafs. So a buddy had a birthday. We were like, what, grade five, so about 10, 10 years old. So his dad took a whole bunch of us from school down to a Marley's game. We had rail seats. So you can imagine at 10 years old, what a thrill is, you know, the rail seats. Hanging right off the goals. Yeah. 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 And right on the side, uh, was, I guess it was near the penalty box and any, or actually it was no, not far from the player benches. So there's two funny stories. They're playing the Niagara Falls Flyers. They were owned by the way, by the Boston Bruins as well. So one of the tough guys who became a very good hockey player, his career was shortened by drug addiction and by steroids. It's, it's, uh, Compelling story, but thank God he made it through. Anyway, Derek Sanderson was oh, yes. a junior hockey player. He was a rookie of the year for the Boston Bruins in 1968. But as a junior, he was highly skilled, but he was a good fighter. He was tough, really tough. So, you know, I'm sitting in the rails. Uh, and then so I, in the warm-up ahead of the game, Sanderson's right in front of us. <laughs> so... Uh, I kind of like poked my head over the glass just barely. And I said something probably my parents wouldn't want me to say. <laughs> uh, some choice words to Derek Patterson. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. He actually turned around and gave me like, 
the the death stare. The, the snarl. And, yeah. And like I was so petrified, I jumped out of my seat and I ran <laughs> into the hallway because I thought he was going to come after me. He never did, of course, but. Wow. Years later, Derek was one of the guests on Don Cherry's Grapevine that first year. I told him that story, and we both we both had a pretty good roar of laughing. I thought I said, Turk, I thought you're gonna come after me. But anyway, it was pretty funny. And also in that same game, I think I went up to Jim Jim McKenney, who became a pretty That's solid great. Maple Leaf, a very good offensive defenseman, uh, could score goals. Funny as heck. The guy could have been a stand-up comedian. He had more one-liners than most of the stand-up comics do. But anyway, I go up to him, and they're about back then. The national anthem was "God Save the Queen," right? Because we didn't have our own flag yet till 1965, and we didn't have our own anthem also till 1965. Oh, Canada! So we used to we used to play "God Save the Queen," and at the uh, I believe it was at the north end of the building, there was a huge, massive portrait of Queen Elizabeth. So he'd stand up, they'd play Dim the Lights, they'd play God Save the Queen with the spotlights on Queen Elizabeth. So just before they did that, I go up to McKenney near the Marley's player bench. I said, Mr. McKenney, can I please have your autograph? And, you know, Jim, I didn't know him then, right? But he, he had this dry sense of humor. He says, well, no, son, we, we, I've got to listen to the national anthem now. <laughs> you imagine Jim yeah, oh, yeah. How we... national. I never, I yeah. never let him down on that. Every time I saw it, I was like, Howie, you wouldn't sign my bloody autograph because you had to listen to the national anthem. Anyways. Yeah, that sounds a lot like Howie having the pleasure of yeah, uh, dealing yeah, with him down was... at the rinks or the arenas and stuff like that. So it was, uh, yeah, he was working with I'll City. I'll give you then. another Howie McKenney line. He, uh, um, when he was playing for the Maple Leafs, uh, they had, you know this, Anthony, they used to have different slogans on the dressing room wall. That's like they right. were meant to inspire the players, right? And every team, I think a lot of sports teams, college teams would still do that. So for, I don't know, the late 60s, early 70s, I guess, because I had a part-time job at Doug Laurie Sports when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know that store was owned by Tommy Smythe. That's right. Anyway, so I get to go into the locker room because I was sometimes delivering sticks to the players from that sporting goods store. So there was, uh, I get to watch them practice as well on Saturday mornings. I worked a full day Saturday and I worked for the midweek game uh, because the store would stay open when the leaf games were on. So people could buy sweaters and sticks and all the merchandise there. Right. So anyways, there was a slogan on the leaf dressing room for a year or two, which was said uh, success comes in cans, not can'ts as in cannots. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. it sounded, you know, okay. That, that, that sounds good. So Jimmy McKenney put a little twist on it, as he did so many things with, a, with his own unique sense of humor. Said, "Yeah, success comes in beer can." <laughs> <laughs> that's Howie. Right. Oh uh, boy, that's for sure. That's for sure. But keep telling anyway, us about your uh, that interest and ambition, which led you into the sports broadcasting. Yeah, right? I was like I said, I was a music junkie. I mean, I loved the Beatles, the Beach Boys, all that kind of you know British invasion music, North American music. So, you know, aside from watching, you know, the mainstream television as much as I could and certainly the Leaf games. So I'd listen to Chum Radio at night because I love the DJs were incredible. I could still recite the names of the guys who I listened to when I was a kid. You know, Brian Skinner did the early evening show. And there was a guy named a few years later, the late 60s, named Jack. It went by Jackson Armstrong. He used to talk in a falsetto, high-pitched voice at thousand miles an hour you could barely make out what he was saying but he's so high energy and entertaining he didn't care mm -hmm. but uh and then during the daytime it was more guys who catered to you know it'd be young mothers who'd be listening 
uh, you know, that was before moms went into the workforce. So a lot of moms were at home, right? Raising their kids. That's just the way it was back then. So, you know, Bob McAdory went on to a career in global news. Yeah. Uh, he was working there. Jay Nelson, they used to call him jungle. Jay Nelson. He did mm -hmm. the morning show and he had a lot of funny skits that he used to do in the morning. Uh, and then, uh, so those, you know, Larry Solway used to do a talk show a late night. He was actually, I borrowed some of his shtick. He used to hang up on people deliberately just to like, like, you know, a bit of a rude way, kind of like I was, yeah. uh, or I sort of mimicked some of that. Like, you know, some kid would call in, uh, you know, I get, I didn't know about call screening. So I don't know if, if Larry screened the calls, he probably had a producer, but whatever. There would sometimes be a kid who'd sneak through and Solway says like, it's past your bedtime. What are you doing up now? Goodbye. You know, <laughs> I clang up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. He didn't hesitate to to take a piece out of somebody, and or if he disagreed with them. Uh, so that was my first exposure to talk radio. I loved because Solway was controversial, right? So that would come on at ten at night. But no, I just love the DJs because they, the what makes a radio personality work is, and I learned that at even that young age is you gotta. For the audience, it works if it sounds like to each person you're talking to them directly. And there's ways of doing that. But if you make it sound like that with your words and little tricks you can use, then they really, you know, it's like, yeah, he's talking to me. Huh? So, you know, there's, um, uh, you know, like when I was doing the fans, some would say, hey, special shout out to everybody you know, down and downs, up and downs you tonight. This is everybody on the Danforth, right? Hey, you're talking to me. Oh, isn't that great? Right. So there's, it's called landmarking. So I learned that at a young age because I wanted to make sure when I was on the radio, people felt like I was talking to them directly. Right. And so I learned that from these DJs who use little tricks like that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, besides which they played the music that I loved and, um, they had all kinds of contests that were geared towards teenagers. You know, you could win tickets to all these big concerts that were, you know, they, they brought in the Beatles twice in 1964 and 1966 and all the other big bands who were famous. And, um, and actually the other thing was, uh, you know, they, they would kind of like make sure they played up the Maple Leaf playoffs because they were a Stanley Cup champion for four times in the 60s. So, they had a little, I'll use the word shtick mm -hmm. for fun. They had what they called the chum witch. And hmm. the chum witch would be at the gardens to put a hex on whichever team the Leafs were playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And back then, you could get away with it. So uh, in 67, uh, you know, uh, I uh, the, just the one, you know, the chum witch, whoever, I don't know who was playing the, the part, right? But so the chum witch would kind of make fun of the, op pick one player from the other team and make fun of their name, like not in a really mean way, just in a rhyming way. So uh, <laughs> so the one I remember, I think it was from 67, the Leafs are playing the Canadians in the Stanley Cup final. So back then, you know, you'd make fun of the accent, but not in a mean way, just in a fun way. Anyway, so I'll give you well, the, the chum witch says, I think she was talking about Jean-Guy Talbot, right, on the Montreal mm -hmm. Canadiens. So just the, the jinx was, and again, it was like a jinx, like putting a hex, right? So it's all shtick, but I remember it was just like a just like a, a one-line rhyme was like, okay, Jean-Guy will be a donkey, you know? It was like <laughs> silly stuff like that, but it's like oh, it was boy. fun, right? It was funny, so... 
anyways that's the kind of stuff i grew up but i love that that's where i developed my love for radio and i knew when i was nine years old i wanted to be well first a disc jockey you know, so i came close it was the next best thing a talk sports talk shows but i knew that was my chosen career if i could do anything i want when i was nine years old so that's how that all came about well you got off to a real roaring start here in episode 33 and uh it was neat to know that as uh, you know that and there's a beautiful nexus between music and sport and uh oh, yeah. great to hear some of those great uh memories of yeah. yours and uh and taking us through that uh norm i want to shift gears here and talk we talk a lot about on champs and chums about having great mentors in your life can yep. really really drive you to places you 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 dream to be um would love to hear and if you could share with the listeners um who would you um consider as a career mentors for you as as you were getting into your successful uh, career as a broadcaster and, and how did they help you yeah well you know i struggle like uh, you think about it i didn't get on the air i mean i was working in fact okay so let's go back to school i finished graduate school at syracuse in 1981 Okay, and then there are some mitigating factors that you don't ordinarily think about when you're a student. Well, how about the economy? And when the economy goes sour and it's hard to get a job. So I went through a few of those cycles. So 81, right out of grad school, I got a job at the CBC uh, film videotape library down on Front Street. Uh It was just, you know, hauling stuff out of a storage room, putting it on a truck, just like real basic stuff. And then... I had an opportunity to work on a show called, it was a midday, what we call a magazine show. Magazine shows where they interview, you know, actors or authors, politicians. It's like a little bit of everything. So it's called a magazine show. It was called Bob McLean. It was called McLean at Large. The host was Bob McLean. So I got hired as a story producer. But in terms of mentoring, you know, the mentoring I got, which was necessary to survive and have a career in media, uh, I'd have to, you know, if I'm giving credit where credit is due, most of that goes to my mom and dad. Uh, and, uh, also to my, one of my professor of radio TV communications at Syracuse, Dr. Rick Roosevelt, right. That's Jr. right. I was, I was going to name it. You had him on your yeah. program for, for, for many a time. So uh, that's yeah. right. Well, he was, a, he was my mentor. He became like my big brother. He still is. And, you know, back in that time, 1980, 81, Toronto, there wasn't that many people from other parts of the world. Well, there were people who'd immigrated in the early part of the century, but there weren't a lot of minority people. In other words, people from Africa or people from the, the islands, the Caribbean, etc. Well, Rick was African-American. He grew up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, when it was racially segregated. The old Jim Crow laws, the horrible Jim Crow laws. So when he was a young when he was a young man. There was separate seats for black people in movie theaters, separate drinking fountains, separate washrooms. He grew up in the midst of all that. You can imagine what that was like. And the most amazing thing was, you know, as I got to know him, you know, he never he never had a shred of bitterness. Imagine he grows up uh, that horrific circumstance. He never had a shred of bitterness. Not, ah, uh, you know, he wasn't like angry at anybody. I mean, he acknowledged it, what it was like, but he still pursued a career in radio he had one, you know, working in various town, uh, town cities. Uh, and, uh, you know, he got to know the King, like Coretta King, Martin Luther King's family. He, he knew some of the, the big names in the civil rights movement. And so he sort of, you know, I learned directly because I'd never met anybody or got to know anybody of African-American descent till that point. So I'm at grad school at Syracuse. 
but he he always he always built me up and sometimes he would get mad at me because i say rick i'm your student of course you're gonna think i'm i'm great or whatever and then when i got on the air with the fan he always said you know the number one sportscaster in canada says like well rick i'm not the number one i mean I, i've done okay and he would get mad at me he says yes you are <laughs> yeah like he would always like you know make sure i had a proper level of confidence but to get back to you know i mentioned my mom and dad well you know they were opposites my dad was a world war ii canadian forces veteran he was in a unit that helped develop radar for the allies my mom grew up in a family well in the great depression uh, which uh, Ashton, you'll read about it if you haven't already learned about it. But in the Great Depression, you know, folks would go hungry. There was no welfare, government welfare. So my mom had three siblings. So it was four kids all together. Parents were immigrants from uh, Russia and Eastern Europe at the turn of the century. So sometimes during the Great Depression, uh, dinner for my mom and her siblings was, now get this, dinner was applesauce and bread. Think about that. Applesauce and bread was dinner. Wow. So, and my mom during the Second World War worked in a munitions factory. It's called the Ronson factory, helping, you know, supply the necessities for the soldiers uh, serving overseas. So my parents, you know, they, they had some, you know, they had some uh, experiences nobody today can really relate to. But the one thing my parents drilled into me, my father in a more conservative you know, like drill sergeant way was you never quit on anything. You would never let us quit on subjects in school we were struggling with. So you'd get a tutor, right? It was almost forbidden to drop a subject in school. I mean, I think maybe once I did, but, uh, you know, he'd always get us to even, you know, and I get this. So we had a, my parents bought us, you know, we had a dash hound as our pet. And I, I remember we got her, we called her BB. Uh, my mom named her after Bridget Bardot, famous. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's uh, anyway. Um, so BB was a dash hound, but so why the the dash hound? The my parents hoped us uh, wanted us to learn that you know because you know your pets get diseases and all kinds of things. And so when she would get ill, instead of you know she had distemper and I forget what else, all kinds of doggy illnesses. But my mom and dad would never let the vet put her down. They said no, no, no. So they wanted us to learn it. Well. If you do that much for a pet, imagine what you do for a human being, you know, that you, you fight to the end, right? And, and my dad was strict on not quitting. So when I struggled years later to get, I didn't get on the air at the fan, I was 37. Now, I graduated when I was 26. So that's a, that's a long time, uh -huh. right, to not get an on-air spot. I, you know, I would, I remember flying up to uh, Pembroke. To audition for a radio station on Pem Air, a one-prop airplane. Mm. I was sitting in the heater. Wow. So yeah, and it's like it, it was because the one-prop aircraft, so you're flying pretty low, so you feel all the turbulence. It's like it's like going on the Wildcat at the exhibition. You know that that uh, that crazy ride. Where you felt like your lunch was going to leave your stomach. Yeah, and it was. It was like that, and it was like, well, thank God we made it safely. But but Normie, but Normie, it sounds like they were. It was just. It's just a primer for for all the the listeners that you battled on air over the oh, many yeah. years, right? Oh yeah, so. no, it was. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess I made it because my parents. Uh, a, my mom handled things differently. You know, my mom. All my mom would say, and this is remarkable when you think about it. When I was struggling, right? Because uh, you know, I had the Don Cherry's grapevine after Bob McLean, and then. From 1983 until 1987, there was nothing. There was nothing. 
There was a bad recession in 1983. And then, you know, I'm trying to get my, beyond the first two jobs I had, I'm trying to get another gig. And it was hard because I didn't have enough of a resume. And I didn't have really good connections up here. And so I did my own. This is another twist in the road. I got so fed up. I saw a story about Canadians and Toronto Star serving in Vietnam with the U.S. military who were denied their benefits by the Veterans Administration. So they'd sign up individually because Americans were running away from serving in Vietnam. And, you know, we, as we learned when we got older, it was a horrific war. We didn't know about everything going on when we were watching on TV, on the news. But anyway, so Americans were avoiding serving. So some Canadians who thought they were really fighting communism and doing the right thing would go across the border at Buffalo, New York, or across from Vancouver and Bellingham, Washington. They'd sign up and they thought they were being taken care of after the war. Well, they weren't. So I got involved along the long and short it was I organized a ceremony for them at the Vietnam Veterans Wall in Washington. I lobbied a couple of congressmen, Lane Evans from Illinois and David Bonnier from Michigan. Uh, uh, Evans was a Republican, Bonnier was a Democrat. And I, you know, I, they got familiar with the story about Canadians who served, they wore American military uniforms serving with American outfits in Vietnam, but they were denied their benefits by the Veterans Administration. So in other words, they wanted to get treated for psychological problems, physical problems. They they couldn't go to Sunnybrook Hospital, let's say, which is a veterans hospital in Toronto. They'd have to go to American Hospital. So it's a great inconvenience. It was hard for them. So I got involved with that. Long and short it was, I made a, I spent time lobbying for them. I shot video footage, which I never completed because I ran out of money. Oh. Uh, and this is 1987. But what what did happen, which kick-started my career, it's a long-winded explanation. Um, I had a real good publicist helping me out. And long and short was the New York Times. I get this. CTV News declined to cover the story, the ceremony I was putting on at the Vietnam Veterans Wall in Washington. I mean, it's a long story why, but they declined to cover it. But who covered it? It's like, it was like a gift from the, from the good Lord. It was the New York Times, for God's sake. Oh, wow. The New York Times sent a reporter... And you can still read about it. It's in the New York Times. Um, I'm just gapping on his name. I'll remember it. But anyway, it's March 26th. The ceremony is March 26th, 87. The story ran March 27th, 87. Wow. And it's about, it says Canadian veterans still struggling to get, uh, you know, uh, from Vietnam. Anyways, Canadian Vietnam veterans struggling. And uh, I'll, I'll remember before we're done this interview, the guy's name. I'm just gapping on it. For but sure. Anyway, it ran on page six of the front section. And people back at CTV News who worked on Canada Am were following what I did. And so when I finished doing that and I ran out of money in the spring of 87, I worked at Collegiate Sports at the Promenade for a few months. And then there was a, a, the Bruce Cushing. He's passed away 10, 15 years ago. But he was like the second in charge producer the head producer executive was wendy day the next in charge was bruce cushing i kept in touch with bruce about this vietnam project and he told me hey there's an opening here for a store producer you want to you know you want to take a shot at it this was january of 87 just after the new year I said yeah sure so it's like i've got an audition like like one week to prove that i can do this it's lining up guests right for a major morning news show a national news show so so I come in, the uh, first assignment, the, the, well, you can tell they're, they're really putting me to the test. It was the, uh, for people familiar with Middle East history, it was the Intifada, a Palestinian uprising 
you know, in conflict with the Israelis, which still goes on, sadly, to this day. But anyway, I had to get a guest. I had to get two guests, one representing the Israeli point of view, one representing the Palestinian point of view. So I had to get them for the next day. Well, you know, as a kid, uh, <laughs> what are the odds? As a kid, I went to a Jewish day school, so I knew how to speak the Hebrew language fluently. And so I phoned the UN Israeli, uh, the United Nations Israeli office, and I spoke Hebrew to the person answering the phone. And I explained I wanted their ambassador. Now, the ambassador was became a huge name years later. Who was it? Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, wow. He became the prime minister. He was the prime minister for 20 years there. Anyways, so speaking the Hebrew language, that was a icebreaker, got me him as a guest on Canada AM. And then, of course, I phoned the Palestinian UN office. I said, look, we've got Netanyahu on tomorrow. We'd like to get your perspective because it'd have to be completely balanced and objective piece. So I got the, I think his name was Voody Terzi. It's not, I, I know that's his name. I don't have the spelling, but Voody. He was the Palestinian. Um, they never had an embassy there, but they had representation. So he was the representative. So I got both of them on. That was my first day. And that was my audition. Wow. Well, you know, suffice to say, I passed it with flying colors. But I don't mean to brag, but I mean, you know. No, some morning the glory Nazi. there, Norm. Some morning glory there on Canada. Yeah. yeah. So and I, and then they saw, signed me some different stories. Anyways, I, I did well enough. And then they hired me full time. And then I was there for three years from 88 to 91. And then uh, after the end of the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, spring of 91, CTV News laid off 10% of its workforce. There was another recession. Anyway, that led to me getting hired by CFRB. Joe Solway hired me to produce the talk shows for Larry Solway, oddly enough, Ted Wallachin, um, Dave Quinn, who just passed away, sadly. Yes, yes Quinner was Quinter. a good man. Yeah, so I ended up producing, and uh, Ed Needham Ed was Needham. very... Right. Very controversial, but had a huge, massive ratings. The lines were lit up for his show before he even set foot in the studio. So I ended up producing talk shows, which was how I learned how to do a talk show. Like, what makes it work? What makes it successful? So you see what I'm saying? The, the fact that my parents would never let me quit. I didn't. Actually, my father wanted me to quit on a Vietnam project. But the last part of it was a ceremony in Washington. I said, ah, you know. So I exhausted my last dime. But that's what made the difference. Funny how my dad was concerned because he was an accountant, but that never quit thing that he drilled into me. I was the one who said, no, 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 I'm going to finish. You know, I went down, I spent my last dime doing that ceremony in Washington, but that's what made it work because that's where the New York Times came in. And the New York Times was what drew attention to CTV News. So all that stuff. So why am I, you know, my mom and dad, all my mom would say was when I was struggling was, uh, uh, you know, don't worry, dear, your, your turn will come. Well, she was right, but how did she know? She had no background or race. She just knew. You know, they talk about mother's instinct. Well, she was right. My turn did come. Yeah. And, and she would never let me worry. She would just, you know, don't worry, dear, your time will So between my my father's conservative approach and, you know, hard line on never quitting, and my mom just like, eh, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll get your turn. So go figure. But if you're talking about credit, be my professor... Dr. Rick Roosevelt, right? Because he drilled, he always kicked my behind till I started believing the confidence that he had in me. And my parents about not quitting and just keep at it and your turn will come around. So those are my mentor coaches, if you want to call it that. And that's, I think, the main reason why I got to where I did. Oh, that's amazing. And 
Um, uh, Norm, it's now my pleasure to uh, bring into the great conversation here with Storm and Norman Rumack, our best of guest, uh, my chum Ashton. And Ashton, ju- and, and Norm, just well, I'll set this up because uh, we are honoring you here today, a longtime champ and chum. And Ashton's going to share with you, as it's, it's all about, as you know, in great radio and great talk, it's, you know, pictures and descriptions. So Ashton, uh, you take it away and you, you share with Norm the wonderful shirt that you have on as you're, uh, you're, you're doing this <laughs> broadcast. Well, right now I have the Hammerhead Alert shirt on. Wow. I'm impressed. Well, it can't I'm fit impressed. me anymore, uh, Norm. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so it might have been, I don't know, maybe it was a Leaf game or a tennis event or a golf event. But yeah, you know, yeah. as I know, you, you were you were a man of preparation. You walked in with your Lickman's bag and you had all yeah, the papers yeah. to get ready. And yeah, then, yeah. of course, the shirt. Right. So uh, I really appreciate you. Years back. And now I'm passing it on to my son, the Hammerhead Alert shirt. But go ahead, well, Ashton. Well, well, well or, go ahead, Ashton. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Norm, you've had outstanding success in your sports broadcasting career. Can you share with the fans some of your personal career highlights? Yeah, that's a great question, Ashton. Um, Well, I guess there's some highlights with that shirt. There's quite a few, but I'll just mention the ones, you know, the appropriate for your show. Um, uh, There's some hockey, some sports legends. Uh, well, the biggest one was that there's actually a guy who played for the Blue Jays who's a Hall of Famer, World Series MVP, who actually did, Ashton, wear that shirt under his uniform. Paul Molitor took a liking to my show. That's right. Before I even met him. What was the story uh, there, Norm? Because didn't he wear, the first time he wore it, he had a big night at the plate, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Paul, I gave, I met him during the baseball strike. There was a baseball strike in 1994. So I met him. There was a children's wish function. He was there. I was there. So I got to meet him there because, of course, uh, you know, he, he played for the Blue Jays and was an MVP of the World Series in 93. So I met him and then I gave him one of these promotional shirts. And and Paul came up to me and said, hey, like he'd wear it under his uniform. You know, he actually wore it. On, and he told me he went eight for eight at a doubleheader in Kansas City wearing that same shirt you got acting under his uniform. So, of course, when I go down to a hockey game or Blue Jay game or Argo game, whatever. I tell that to every athlete I ever met. Why? Because they're all superstitious to the nines. You tell athlete one shirt works for one. Oh, you know, yeah, I'll try it. Every time I'm at a baseball player in a Blue Jay game, you know, Blue Jays, out-of-town guys, there's a long, long list of them. But Molly was the guy who put me on the map. And not only that, he was like a godsend. He'd come down to the fan studios at Young and Eglinton to do an interview with, like, in studio. Like, who does that? <laughs> he still does stuff for me on my podcast, actually. You know, so Paul Molitor for me was like a like a, an angel sent from the good Lord to help me with my career. But he actually did wear this shirt. I've got a shot of him on the wall taking out a Blue Jay game in '95. I got him holding one up, and then I told the story to Cal Ripken, an all-time legend with the Orioles. They were visiting that day, so I, you know, I, I explained. I was like, Paul Molitor actually wore it, so I got a shot of Cal Ripken holding up the shirt. Uh, it's like back in 95. So anyway, I've got shots of Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal. It's like quite a lengthy list. Uh, a lot of ball players. Well, aside from the, you know, Joe Carter, Devon White, uh, all kinds of guys on, on other t- Joe Madden. I got to be, get to know him be friends with him when he managed Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and then several Evan Longoria member told me he had some luck wearing the shirt. Uh, he's now, I think with the, I think he's, he was with the angels, I think, or, 
Maybe it's Longoria. I think maybe San Francisco. Anyway, Giants. Is, the Giants is the last team I remember with Longoria. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And he was a prolific home run hitter for Tampa Bay. So I gave him a shirt. Scott Kazmer, who had a couple of really good years pitching for the Rays. So anyway, I, there's like just such a long list of guys. Iverson, actually, I've got a shot of him. He made the, all the media wait until I got a picture of him before he would answer any of their questions. I'm sure the media were really upset with me. But there's Iverson holding, because, yeah. you know, he, he was superstitious too. So I've got a shot of Iverson, AI, holding up the oh, hammer. That's at amazing. So, that's great uh, memories. So, great memories. Yeah. So Ashton, it became like a good luck charm, if you want to put it that way. And, uh, but career memories, I, I was fortunate enough to do have some great interviews aside from the shirt uh, with uh, um, a lot of big name uh, guys. I had a great sponsor. He's passed away, Jeffrey Neiman. He was an executive with Universal Studios, but he uh, he grew up with Mario Lemieux's mom in East Montreal, and he got me a one-on-one with Mario. He flew me down to Pittsburgh. He flew me down to Pittsburgh, got a one-on-one with Mario, and he arranged the interview because he was friends with Mario. And uh, I'll never forget that. And, uh, oh, I'll never forget that either. Cause I think you all, I think you in, on the show, you, you split it up as a two part or you got so much content, wasn't it? Uh, oh yeah. Well, he gave me both 40 minutes, but the, yeah. you know, the, I guess the, there's a couple that were unforgettable for different reasons. One was Rod Carew, an mm. all time great hitter. So in 95, he was coaching, he was a hitting coach with the angels team he played for. And, uh, I'd read that, uh, you know, Tragically, in his family, he had three girls. The middle one, her name was Michelle. She died of leukemia. Oh, boy. Oh. At 18 years of age. And I knew part of the story was this is the mid-90s, so they were just learning about bone marrow transplants. And with Rod Carew, so he's Panamanian. His wife was Ukrainian Jewish. So the genetic mix for their kids, their three girls, was kind of rare. So they try to find a matching donor, like a bone marrow donor for Michelle, and they never could. So Rod, we, we never talked to any baseball. For 45 minutes, we talked about what that was like going through that with Michelle. Oh. And, and, you know, he was so composed talking about it. It was like mind-blowing. Wow. Um, and so I'll never forget that. I mean, I'm not a word of it. I never forget that. And I was told he was a difficult interview. He as soon as I approached him, I said, look, uh, you know, my condolences on, on your daughter passing. And can I talk with you? And he said, yeah, but we never talked to any baseball. I just wanted to talk to him about Michelle. Mm. And, uh, that was mine. The other one was, uh, Dwight Gooden. Oh, Dwight Gooden. the entire time or most of it talking about his problems with drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember a part of it, I said, so what was rock bottom for you, Dwight, when you're, you know, before he got the counseling he needed from Alcoholics Anonymous, he said he was so drunk and hung over one night, he forgot about his three-year-old daughter's birthday. He didn't show oh, up. He just boy. forgot about it. Wow. So, you know, you get to see these people are human beings. You know, they may be spectacular in sports, but they've got, you know, we've all got failings. We've all got shortcomings and some of them, you know, but the fact that he could talk that openly about it. So imagine a great pitcher. You know, and then he was honest about rock bottom. That is about as rock bottom as you can get, right? We're getting his daughter's birthday uh, as a toddler. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but he managed to work his way through it. So stories like that. Uh, and there was also, maybe you can help me with the name, Anthony. Uh, uh, he was a teammate of Dwight on the Yankees. He was a relief pitcher. 
And he set, unfortunately, set a record for drug suspensions for Major League Baseball. So, well, um, it's not Steve Howe. Um, uh, uh, no. He played for the Yankees. Why can't I remember his name? Yeah, right. it'll come and, to me too. It'll come to me. Tragically, he died in a car accident a couple of years, like a solo car, just driving on his own car accident. Mm. Uh, and he too had a horrible problem with, with alcohol and drug addiction. Mm. And, you know, I just, why can't I remember his name? But I've still got him the same time I interviewed Dwight Good, and I interviewed him, and he said, people have no idea how hard it is to break addiction. Like, they, they talk about it, not like a joke, but almost like, well, it's not a, you know, you should be able to do it. And he talked about how people just don't know how hard it is. And so, anyway, uh, Ash, and answer your question, those are some of the interviews that I was blessed to have that I'll never, ever forget for those reasons. Norm, who are some of your favorite athletes of all time and why? Uh, yeah, well, some of the guys I'm, you know, Paul Molitor for sure, because he helped me so much with my career. Wendell Clark, who was former Maple Leaf captain, was great to me. Dougie Gilmore, same thing. Uh, there's quite a long list of them. Uh, um, but uh, in terms of athletes, Mario, Mario was kind of quiet. Lemieux, talking about quiet and shy, but he was great. Just a real, just nice, nice person. I went to his charity golf tournament, not to golf, but to interview other celebrities who showed up. And through my sponsor, I mentioned he's passed away, Jeffrey Neiman, rest in peace. Um, he set me up and got, uh, through him, I got to know uh, Chris Chelios and Jeremy Roenick, because Jeffrey uh, uh, got them behind a charity he was involved in. So I got to know those fellas, and they were always good to me. Uh, Jimmy Devolano has helped me immensely with my career as an executive with the Red Wings. Uh, I've developed a friendship with Rick Dudley, who's an advisor now to the Florida Panthers. He's worked with a lot of different teams. So these are like become good friendships and they've helped me out tremendously with my career. Uh, I'll always be grateful to Alan Davis, who hired me at the fan with very little experience on air, a lot of experience producing, but very little, almost no experience on air. So he was uh, he's also a gift from God. Alan Davis, who was the program director, gave me my big break, and I still keep in touch with him. He's uh, working for the Buffalo Bills radio station, WGR 55 in Buffalo, New York. He's the program director there, so we keep in touch. And, you know, all the program directors who would be my bosses as a fan, Nelson Millman, Bob Makowitz Jr., uh, to, to mention a few, um, Don Collins, who was there for a few years when I was brought back. He brought me back 2011. So I've been very fortunate to have people who influenced me in different ways and, you know, allowed my career to forge ahead. Mike Pinball Clemens, I got to know him with the Argos. Oh, boy, what a – I don't know if I've ever met a more compelling speaker than him. Uh, and he's so genuine, so he was good to me. Um, you know, the people put together my promotional shirts, Brian Green. I had every one of those shirts like the ones you've got, Ashton, plain and simple, gave me those shirts for free. I never paid a dime for any of them. So Brian Green still runs that company, plain and simple. The name's on a shirt. So people like him. I, you know, uh, Ashton and Anthony, uh, the good Lord has been good to me. I've been really blessed. I'm still alive and kicking at age 67. Uh, and uh, I've had some miraculous people who've seen fit. And I mentioned Jeffrey Neiman. I mean, he was, uh, was like, to have a sponsor like that. He flies me to Pittsburgh. He, he paid my way down to the NHL All-Star Game in Boston in 96. It was on board a U.S. naval ship. I'll never forget that. And the, the, it was the, the current arena they play in, the, the Celtics do, that opened in 96. It was first called the Fleet Center, I believe. 
That's right. Uh, right. And so when the, the all-star game was held there. So I was at the game. I was at the, uh, the, you know, the, whatever the functions that were the pre all-star functions that were on board the ship also. Um, so uh, I had another sponsor, Ken Haddle. He was with, uh, at the time, Ken's from Hamilton. Anyway, he flew me to Chicago in 94. We saw the last uh, the last game at the United, I'm sorry, at Chicago Stadium before they opened at the United Center in, 90, uh, in 94. Uh, or was it 90? No, it was 95, pardon me. In any case, uh, some things I'm gapping a little. It was, I think it was 94. But anyway, it was the last regular season game at the Chicago Stadium. It was the Maple Leafs, appropriately, who were playing. And the Maple Leafs won that game, I believe, 5-3. And But what I'll never forget, uh, we had seats in the lower bowl, the lower tier of Chicago Stadium. And so, you know, that stadium was legendary, A, for their anthem singer, who had an operatic voice, and B, just the volume. I'm I'm not a not a word of exaggeration. The anthem, the people singing, and the volume was so loud. I actually had to plug my ears. It was like listening to a jet aircraft take off right in front of you. Oh wow! And it was. And they called it. Remember, they gave out these T-shirts. Remember the roar. Remember well, the roar. Yeah. Remember the roar. Oh, I never forgot that because that national anthem, you know, and then you know, you know, it inspired for Americans you know, a lot of patriotism in, in, you know, the right way back then. Um, so uh, I remember they had a, somebody had a banner up there at the time said, no flag burners in here. God bless America. Uh, just like I say, it was, a, uh -huh. it was something special. I'm sure for the players on the ice to listen to the energy in that crowd. But anyway, yeah, that was a, my friend Ken Haddle flew me down from that. We also saw a Cubs game. First time I've been to Wrigley Field. Uh, we had seats right behind the Atlanta Braves bullpen, the first row right behind their bullpen. It was like playing in your backyard almost. <laughs> wow. Well, that was a great line of luminaries that you named. And I wanted to share a quick yeah. story because among yeah. them, you mentioned the great Wendell Clark and for fans yeah. of this show, uh, they know he's, he was a big fan of mine growing up as well too. And, uh, there yeah. I was Norm, I think it was back in 93, just as a, a fan of Wendell. And also yeah. a fan of yours that I believe it was called Mel Lastman Square. That I was actually 90, it was after he got traded, so it would have been 94. 94, there you go. That's so right, who, they had a send-off ceremony for him at, at Mel Lastman Square. And who right. was the master of ceremonies yeah, for that me. big celebration <laughs> that was Storm and Norm Rumack with Wendell yeah. Clark, two yeah. two heroes of mine who, in, uh, ironic and how, as you say, the great fortune of how things go when you put the work in, I've, I'm, I'm talking to you now, years later, and uh, Wendell, of course, when I worked for the lease, was on the team and had a chance to, the pleasure of working with him on the media services side, so uh, it, it was great. Um, well, you're listening to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. This is our best of segment. We're here with the uh, late night sports broadcast legends, Storm and Norm Rumack. It's Anthony and Ashton in the broadcast chair, and Norm... Um, You've talked about this thus far in our great conversation, uh, we, and we, we highlighted a lot on Champs and Chums, determination and resilience. Uh, they're two great qualities, and I'm just wondering if you can share with your travels through the world of sports broadcasting what those two words mean to you in, in your broadcast media career. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the fact that I struggled for so long to get my career launched, so... Um, 
you know, kind of like what my uh, like what my father drilled into me about never quitting, never giving up, and how they try to. And you know, that's a that's the great benefit of playing sports. You could be. I mean, I played hockey. I was third line, and a house league, Forest Hill House. I was third line checking winger. So that tells you how how useless I was. I mean, I could skate, right? But it's like if you're on the third line in house league, you're not destined for the NHL. Anyway, you gotta have you know you gotta have a sense of humor about yourself. But no, I would never. Um, uh, you know, I I trained in uh, I trained in kung fu when I was a teenager uh, at Twin Dragon Kickboxing, and you know I was like 150 pounds soaking wet. When I, this was like I was 17, eight, I was 18, I was in grade 13, and uh, but you know it was uh, the McNamara's, their Irish. I mentioned they were Irish Catholics. They grew up in Belfast in the early 1960s. You had to be tough. You had to be tough to grow up in Belfast, Northern Ireland in the early 1960s. I'm not taking, you know, I'm not talking take, taking political sides here. I'm just saying to be Irish Catholic and growing up in Belfast, that's uh, just suffice to say it was a tough neighborhood, okay? Tough circumstances. So these guys were tough, but tough in a good way. So I joined the club and it was... It was like a hardcore, I mean, you, you talk about not quitting, right? I'll give you another story about learning not to quit. So, uh, you know, we did knuckle push-ups. There was no air conditioning. The, you know, you could you could wring the water out of your T-shirt at the end of the 90 minutes. Like, I mean, wring it out like the washing machine would do. Wring it out, right? Not a few drops. We're talking about, you know, enough to wet the floor. Uh, you know, so knuckle push-ups, uh, crunch it like, like, you know, like long sessions of sit-ups. Um, and, uh, you know, they, uh, it was basically martial arts applied to street fighting is what they taught us. So that, you know, if you needed it, and thank God I've not needed it, but, you know, you can more than take care of yourself. I'll leave out all those specifics, but uh, it was almost like military combat, you know, fighting skills that you'd learn. But we'd also learn what they call the katas. Like it's almost like that's almost like dance, it's almost like ballet, but it's with fighting moves. Like you watch a Bruce Lee movie, you'd, you'd, uh, you know, you, you, uh, Anthony, you probably know Ashton, you know, at some point watch a Bruce Lee movie, and that's where you can see kung fu at its highest level. Um, so that helped me too. Why I remember, uh, uh, you know, we would spar, right? We would wear a we'd wear a hockey helmet. Uh, cut out hockey gloves, not the full gloves, but just the cut out protect your palms and your knuckles. And uh, so I remember one of the guys at the club, uh, his name was Dave Paul, asked me if I'd like to spar. I was like, yeah, sure, you know, like fine. I didn't know that he was like a like a like a, a nationally ranked or world ranked jujitsu champion. So suffice to say, in sparring, I got my clock cleaned. Like he had me down on the ground in ten seconds, right? You know, he was. Whacking me pretty good. I mean, I wasn't hurt, but I was, you know, I was wearing a helmet, so I was protected. But uh, at the time, I was really upset about it. I actually even went to the instructor. I was like, hey, come on. Like, this guy's just like whacking me. Like, you know, he didn't let up. But you know what? I realized. So years later, I'm playing in a beer league hockey when I was university age. Some guy kept cross checking me behind the neck when we go, when I go into the glass to retrieve a puck. And he kept doing it. I said, oh, you know what? Uh, this guy doesn't want to play by the rules. I'm not either. So I skate up beside him. I didn't ask him if he wanted to fight. I just grabbed his shirt, uh, put my left arm over his right arm so he couldn't move it. And I mean, I don't advocate 
you know, just fighting for the sake of fighting, but sometimes you got to defend yourself and contact sports. Otherwise you're, you know, people just treat you like garbage. So uh, I kind of drilled a, lot of, a whole bunch of jabs into the, this guy's side of his face, not to, you know, like hurt him, damage him, but to teach him a lesson about if you're going to, if you're going to try and, you know, risk my, the, my neck and my back, then you're going to pay a price for it. So all that drilling in martial arts, like I say, I never went to bars. I didn't go. I've never looked for a fight or anything, but I thought under the circumstances, someone trying who could risk damaging my neck and my spine deserved to be punished on the ice. So I did. And he never skated near me again. And, you know, uh, that's the only time I've used any of my martial arts skills because I thought it was the right thing to do and it was necessary because in hockey, people take advantage of you if you don't fight back. Well, I'll tell you something, too. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, if you yeah. on, on your weekly show with uh, Billy the Greek, if you yeah. watch Norm fans on Facebook Live, the gun show is, is, is on full display there because, Norm, for a 67-year-old man, you're looking in fine shape. So uh, uh, just as a, a, a note to the listeners, should they want to we follow up on that, that good story there? Yeah, well, I but but uh, quite seriously, I don't go looking for fights. It's the one thing the McNamara's drilled into us yeah. is like if you get a chance, walk away from a fight. Don't go looking for a fight. Walk away from it, because as you get older, you learn those consequences. You could defend yourself in a fight, and if you hurt the other person, you could still end up getting criminally charged. You got to be smart. And you got to be careful about what you do. But again, if you have to defend yourself, then you do what you got to do. But I've never stopped working out. That's a benefit from, you know, Twin Dragon. I've never stopped working out since I was 18. So I still do a lot of push-ups and stuff. And, yeah, you know, I joke around, like, with you guys about, you know, my arms and my biceps. But that's just a byproduct of working out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm no, I'm no champ prize fighter. Uh, I, that was never my goal. But it was the discipline of also, well, we talk about that discipline I learned at home. I learned that discipline from the McNamara's about not quitting during a workout. Or not quitting because you take a beating in a sparring session. That was also important. And actually, I thanked that guy. The guy, the guy who walloped me in sparring years later, 20 years later, I saw him. And I said, hey, you know, he's already a father of three and he had his own club. I said, Dave, I got to thank you. Because at first he was like kind of, I could tell he felt bad. But it's like, no, 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 seriously, Dave. Like, I learned so much from that. That if I'm ever in a fight, I'm throwing the first five or ten or fifteen punches. I'm not waiting for someone to kind of. I never forgot the walloping I took in that sparring session, and that's like I remember that when I had that fight with that guy who was trying to, you know, do 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 in the back of my neck and my spine. So uh, I didn't even give him an opportunity to blink. Well, that, so uh, things like that, you know, I took a beating, but I used that beating to my advantage years later. Determination and resilience personified, my friend. Uh, Ashton wants to shift gears here with you and talk about the wonderful topic of education, Norm. Yeah. Norm, sure. can you talk yeah. about the importance and the value of education for young people? Yeah, well, it's definitely important because, you know, there's no guarantees as I found out in any career, even, you know, I went to a prestigious university, Syracuse, where a lot of the top names in broadcasting have come out of uh, people who are, you know, before your time, Ashton, but your dad and a lot of people listening will know Dick Clark, who hosted a great rock and roll show called American Bandstands, legendary. All the biggest names in the early days of rock and roll were on that show out of Philadelphia. So Dick Clark was a Syracuse grad. Uh, current names that people do know about if they follow sports. I know they follow us, but you know, obviously Anthony knows quite well, Bob Costas, Marv Albert, 
Ryan Eagle, Mike Tarico, they're all Syracuse University alumni. I know, you know, I've met actually, I know all of them. I've interviewed them all. And so, um, uh, but even coming out of Syracuse, as I did with a master's degree in TV and radio, I still had my struggles. So the, the whole point, though, is that uh, even the education is important about learning, you know, learning not to quit and, um, you know, that it's a stepping stone. It's not a guarantee. It's a stepping stone. But, the, you know, one good thing they did prepare us for at Syracuse was, you know, there's no guarantees. And, you know, you got to and all that. That's everything put together. What my parents taught me, what I learned in kick, kung fu, kickboxing. Uh, I learned at Syracuse having a professor like Dr. Wright, who, in spite of going through racism in its worst form, never gave up on life or pursuing a career, never let it embitter him. So I was like, all these things that I, you know, like building blocks, and the education was kind of like, you know, the icing on the cake. And it was, um, uh, you know, it was, like I say, it was a stepping stone, not again, but learning proper radio, TV announcing you know, learning how media executives think about, you know, one thing I never forgot, one of my professors taught me, you know, when you're, and this would apply to any job, and certainly Anthony would know this, uh, but I never forgot it in any job I ever had that I learned from one of the, I think it was Professor Barnhill. I don't think he's alive anymore, but Professor Barnhill said, you know, when you're working whatever form of media, whoever you're working for, uh, and this, it, it makes so much sense is don't go to your boss with a problem, go to your boss with answers to a problem, you know, so that, that makes sense everywhere. Your boss doesn't want to hear your problems. You want to, your boss wants to hear what answers you've got to the problems that are going on. And that applies in every job you can ever take on. So that's, uh, you know, that's one of the most important things I learned. And also, well, you know, I, I have no, uh, I have no hesitation in telling you, Ash, and I struggled with some subjects in high school, junior high. So I had tutors for uh, grade 10 math and grade 13 math. And, uh, you know, there's no shame in that. It's just sometimes you don't click with a teacher or, or, you know, to be honest, I'm like a lot of kids. You know, sometimes you're distracted, other things that are bugging you, you know, your whatever is going on with your friendships or when you get older and you're interested in girls or boy, whatever, you know, you're whatever it is, you know, your relationships, some of them aren't working out. And you think about things that in the long run, you realize years later, it's not really all that important, but you know, it's just a stage of life you go through. Right. And so, um, uh, education is, uh, important in terms of also learning not to quit and not giving up on yourself. And because by the way, you struggle or you don't get great grades one year or one subject doesn't mean you're a failure or a loser. In fact, it means the fight. The, the if you if you keep at it and you persist, it's kind of like learning how to skate. All of us, when we skate, we fall on our rear ends, right? But what do we do? We get back up. Well, that's life right there. The same if you're playing football, you get knocked down. What are you going to do? Sit and lie down on the ground? No, you're or soccer. You're going to get up. And, and you know, hockey's the most obvious example. You're running out of skate, you fall. Well, you lie on the ice and feel sorry for yourself, or you get up. You get up and you fall again and you keep getting up, right? Well, education and life is the same way. Uh, those are the life building blocks right there, uh, Ashton. You learn that in school. Like I say, even if you struggle with a subject. So you keep at it. 
you know, and my dad had this great expression. If you can't get over a mountain, get under it. You can't get under it, go around it. You can't go, go around it, go through it. That's all about also not quitting and not giving up. So that applies to education as well, for sure. Well, that's tremendous words of advice for, for, uh, for us, for our listeners. And, and this has been such a great conversation. Uh, and I know we're, uh, we've gone way over time with you here, Norm. Uh, and we, we, we want to sneak in a couple more for our great, uh, champ and chum, Norm Rumack, uh, Actually, just as a bit of a footnote, listening to you and talk about, uh, again, some of those great luminaries like Costas and Iron Eagle, etc. It it reminded me, uh, fans, that Norm had this great uh, series called The Players. Oh, yeah. And I believe when I was in the wonderful world of tennis, I think I had helped coordinate an interview with you for, was it Patrick McEnroe? Yeah, that's right. He gave me about uh, about forty minutes of his time. You're that's right. That's what Thank it you. was. That's right. He was a great. I mean, he's a great talker. Anyway, but yeah, I I can't remember everything we talked about. But yeah, he was a very good interview. Very yeah. good interview. Yeah. So I, right. I the, the memory's still working for me, Norm. My career on was Rod yeah. was the players. That's right. Nineteen ninety five. Yeah. What You're a right. great program. What a great a series Norm put together there with right. uh, with the staff. Um, Norm, I wanted to ask you just about the topic of of sports talk and sports radio. It seems that, and certainly a person of 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 all your incredible resumes and talents, and you know, you, you really pioneered sports talk radio, late night sports talk radio here in the country. Um, the, the rise of sports talk on social media platforms. I mean, it's just seeming to be unprecedented now with what's happening um, across so many social channels. You know, someone with a microphone, a recorder, and a, and a mm-hmm. camera in, far, in front of them can just be, be part of the game and share opinions. I'm wondering, you has um, uh, been, been so esteemed in, in your um, career as a sports talk broadcaster. How do you think this will all sort of take shape for the future? Well, I don't know. I, I think there'll be a shakedown eventually because now it's like, uh, you know, I'm a little jaded, a little cynical and includes podcasts, including one I do. But, you know, there's so many people doing podcasts now. And, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm just commenting in general. Right. So doing a podcast now is about as unique as having your name in the, the old, you know, Toronto phone directory or New York right. everybody's name is in it unless they they tell them no you can't put it in or you know I can't be for for security reasons right so it's like the market is flooded but I guess the only way you get around that well you know what the market was flooded with radio people and I just said well I don't care I'm I'm going to be as good or better than than them I saw I was just determined it's like and you got to have that kind of mentality like you know if you want to play in the National Hockey League well there's only about 800 900 jobs right but you got to say, well, you know what? I'm going to be one of them. So you got to have that iron will um, even more so because there's so many people doing these things. And But, but to be smart about it, you got to protect yourself. And what do I mean? Make sure you have other skills. Like don't count on it as a way to make a living. Count on it as something you do, A, for fun, and B, if you get good, you get lucky, you get some sponsors, you make some money on the side, right? Um but yeah, I would tell anyone if you're, it's, it's even when I was doing radio, I mean, like I said, I didn't get on the air until I was age 37. Thank God I could live with my parents still, you know, just before then. Um, but you know, you got to love it that much. Like, you know, ask anybody who's an actor, a lot of them wait on tables for like, and they, even when they have their careers in acting, they wait on tables because they love the profession that much. They're willing to do that until they get their, acting gigs whether it's theater 
or stage or sorry, theater, film, TV, whatever, commercials. So you got to love it. Uh, you know, and I'd say even podcasts, but I remember when I was going into, you know, a school at Syracuse, never forgot something. Uh, I think it was a visiting professor told us and because it applied to TV and radio if you wanted to work in that industry. And that was, so the professor was sharing with us as soon as they get new students in who are going to want to be actors, like in theater school, right? The, what's the first thing they ask them? And it makes sense because this applied, certainly applied for me, radio and TV. So so for the, the youngsters, the young students who wanted to be actors, uh, they had asked them, do you want to be an actor or do you need to be an actor? Mm. If you don't need to be an actor, get out. You're in the wrong class. Choose mm. another choose another man and you know what they were right the same thing you've got to want it that bad that it's like it's uh what would be it's like food and water or god forbid a drug or i'm just saying it's something that you have to have not ah, i'd like to do that no 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 i have to do that that's how i felt about radio since i was or tv you know in that field since i was nine years old i just knew i i was born to do that it's something i had to do i want to be that you know like as a kid disc jockey or something similar close to that well so that's i'm really struck by what you're saying there i mean it's a norm we talk a lot of on the show i mean you know you you have passion for something right it, it can, yeah, it's the right. it's the fuel that can carry yeah. you to so many amazing places that's a great great uh, great great story yeah thank you but it, it is so true i mean what that professor told the acting students that's very true and you could apply it to podcasting you know you want to be like in that line or do you need to be, you know, if it's kind of like a hobby, like building model airplanes, well, then it's just a hobby, but it's like, no, 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 nothing. I'm going to do it no matter how long it takes, no matter what I got to do, I'm going to do that. That's the kind of feeling. That's the kind of ambition and determination you got to have. if You want to succeed, but ask anybody who's played pro sports. It's that same kind of, I've never taken no for an answer. I'm never going to quit no matter, you know, hockey, if I have to play the East Coast Hockey League or whatever, or baseball playing those minor leagues. I mean, it's remote. You may never make it, but, you know, the, that'll carry you through a lot of things in life if you have that iron will that can't be broken. Great stuff. And now on to the final question of this tremendous segment, my uh, champ and chum Ashton uh, with our special guest, Norm Rumack. Norm, what advice do you have for young kids looking to become a star sports broadcaster just like you? Well, you've already got the, the voice and the inflection, Ashton, so that's already there. So I'll congratulate Anthony on, on, on getting you drilled. So I can tell you've got the radio and, and TV inflection in your voice. You know how to do that. So at 9 or 10 years old, it's pretty impressive stuff. And what I would tell you is keep listening to well if you like radio or tv and whoever you enjoy and pay attention to how they use their voice and how they express themselves either visually if you're talking about tv like facial expressions you know how they pause all those kinds of things uh, the most important thing is to get into the field so get yourself a good education because even if you don't end up in radio tv podcasting sports casting you can still you got to have an education to get a job or a good job anyway and, and secondly, education, writing college papers, like all that stuff, you know, you have to get certain grade points, all that discipline is important in life, you know, like, you know, when you got to pay bills, right. And you got to sometimes do things you don't want to do. 
to to get ahead to survive uh sometimes even in your job you got to do things you don't want to do so an education is very important to give you the basics of learning that discipline of you know sometimes you got to do something over again and sometimes you got to do you know focus on a topic you don't like or have a teacher you don't like well guess what in the workforce that happens all the time so education at every level at your level uh ashton and then you'll know, you get into junior high and high school and university you know you gotta you gotta kind of and you know it's like uh, that expression my parents taught me and you know we could all you know benefit from it you know as they say if the good lord gives you lemons then make lemonade so deal with your circumstances and make the best of them right and learn how to make the best of them you're always gonna in everything you do in education and the education pays off in life and in work you're always going to be dealing with some people you don't like, people who aren't nice. You'll deal with some people who are very nice, but sometimes you run into personalities that are difficult to deal with, and you got to learn how to deal with it because you can't like run away from everything. So education is important for aspiring stars like yourself and people of your generation. So don't don't run away from disappointment or if you want to call it failure. Actually, failure is uh, the way to look at failure, if you want to call it that or not succeeding or not doing as well as you thought is it's an opportunity to learn from it and do better. It's actually a gift. You know, that's how you got to kind of like, you know, kind of like pro athletes do that. Oh, okay. Well, we failed from that game. So or we lost that game. So what do we learn from it? So we can be better and be champions. You know, ask anybody, you know, ask any of the guys on the Tampa Bay lightning, you know, they, before they became Stanley Cup champions. So what did they learn? How did they learn? Or anybody who played on any winner or anybody who got through school. You know, first year at York University, I had to rewrite it. I got an F on my first essay. Why? It wasn't that I just like there's some basic mistakes, spelling, sentence structure. So getting the F was the best thing that ever happened because I learned how to become a pretty good writer. So, I mean, they let me rewrite the paper. It wasn't exactly the end of the world, but they deliberately did. I think they do that first year. York. It's actually a good thing. They send you the writer's workshop. So sometimes, or like, like I said in that sparring match, you know, it applies to education. You know, I, I got my rear end kicked in, knocked to the ground, and I was down there. But it was the best experience I ever had because it paid off years later. And like, you know, I'm not ever letting anybody take advantage of me that way again. Uh, there's no way. So... Going through education, to answer your question, it's important because you learn about success, you learn about failure, but it's important to know both. Because if you don't know failure, you'll never know or how to respond to it, then that's how you learn how to succeed and become a, a winner in whatever you're doing in life. You know, and it could be work, could be relationships, but it's like, yeah, you gotta, um, you know, life isn't always gonna be a, you know, a fantastic experience. Sometimes you might, you might struggle with your health. You might struggle with God knows what. But you got to know that if you keep at it, you know, that, that you can succeed, that you can win. It doesn't happen necessarily the day. Sometimes it can go on for weeks or years or months. But if you never give up, I guess the main thing is you'll feel good about yourself that you never gave up. You never quit. And I think people admire people like that. So, you know, um, Education, though, it's hard to get by, Ashton, without a, a, a good education. The better education you get, the more prepared you are for life, the more things you can do in the workforce. And then, you know, it just 
it just makes your life a whole lot easier. I know it may not be fun when you're going through it, but that's also important. Not everything in life is fun. Sometimes there's a lot of things that aren't fun, whether it's work or, you know, you run into health situations or, or things that you, you never anticipated, right? Uh, so everything you can learn along the way is it, it's like building a house, right? It's the bricks, it's, it's the groundwork, it's the floor. Without, a, without good walls and a good floor, Ashton, you're not going to have a good house, right? Well, an education is the same way in life, the formal education and the real-life education, you know, things you learn day-to-day. So build yourself a good base of learning, and you build on that, you build it, and it becomes like a really solid house or whatever it is, right? So for the rest of your life. So build a good foundation and keep keep working at it. And don't give up, don't quit, and try to be on good terms with everybody as much as possible because you never know that one, maybe someone you don't like turns out to be someone who's hiring 10 or 15 or 20 years later. It's like, oh, but you know what? Maybe you didn't like them, but you were still nice to them. Hey, they got you. That's who got you your next job. What do you know? So it pays off to be a good person or try it pays off. Even that stuff they teach you, you know, in, in religious studies about, you know, sometimes, you know, give the person the benefit of the doubt, even if they're not nice, be nice to them as much as you can. I mean, you know, not, not to the point where you're being stepped on, but, but try to give someone the benefit of the doubt or try to listen to them and try to understand them. Right. And sometimes that person, you know, the people, there's always someone in school that people make fun of. But you know what? A lot of times the person that got teased, made fun of, turns out to be the most successful of all of them, right? So that's why I say. Try to be on good terms with everybody. And, and, you know, you just never know where that connection, that friendship is going to lead to years down the road. You'd be surprised how often that happens. That's a great way to end uh, this best of segment with some sparkling words, with some great wisdom and some tremendous advice. That's uh, Storm and Norm Rumack. Uh, the broadcasting legend has joined us on Champs and Chums. And all of those things I've mentioned, Norm, you've been doing for years uh, on, on traditional radio. And you've talked about all the, all the work that you continue to do to still contribute in the space with your talents and your insights. And, uh, on behalf of Ashton and I, we're just so grateful that you made time for us. And, uh, you know, like I say, you've been a champ and chum for a number of years. And uh, to be able to have this time on the airwaves with you to uh, regale in some great stories and to, to bring my sidekick, my son, son along to share what a wonderful person you are. Uh, it's been great. And I know just before we conclude, my, um, my chum Ashton would like to say a few words to you. Sure. Well, Norm, thank you for coming on the show. It's been an honor having you on. And um, uh, my dad's been telling me uh, stories of how you met in sports. And Norm, you've inspired many kids to try their broadcasting skills just like me. So, Norm, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Action. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to God to know that at age 67 you know, being in the upper reaches of the Jurassic Park uh, <laughs> age bracket that I can still inspire a young man like yourself. Uh, that's good to know <laughs> that I can still do that at the advanced age of 67. So God willing, if the good Lord will let me, if I can stay on the top side of the lawn for another 20, 25 years, maybe I'm inspire a few more people to do it. But you're off to, like I said, I wasn't exaggerating, Ashton. You've already got the inflection down that they want to hear in a radio and TV voice. You know how to do that well. So you keep on working at it. 
and you'll have a career and you know you you won't get much finer than anywhere than learning from your dad who's not only a, a pro but he's one of the nicer guys in any business anywhere oh that's nice you just to say uh, ashton you're gonna take us to break on episode 33 this ends our father-son best of segment more father-son fun talk coming up you're listening to the champs and chums podcast Welcome back to Champs and Chums. Happy May, everybody. You're listening to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. It's Anthony and Ashton in the broadcast chair. Thanks so much for joining us here for our May episode. And uh, Ashton, it's time to have a lot more fun. We are actually going to introduce you to our All Pro Go segment. And our All Pro Go segment is a Did You Know Sports Spotlight. So this is where my chum Ashton... Uh, shares with you, our great listeners, um, a sport, an activity, and he tells you a little bit more, well, actually a lot more about it. So Ashton, what is your all-pro goal for May? Well, our all-pro goal for May is cosmic bowling. Oh, you mean kind of glow-in-the-dark bowling? Yes. Well, actually, that actually fits pretty well because we just came uh, straight off an amazing best of segment with the late night vampire, the all-star sports, uh, all talk, sports talk legend, Norm Rumack. So it actually kind of makes sense. Yes, it does. Great stuff. All right, go ahead, Ashton, take it away with what is cosmic bowling? Cosmic bowling is defined in the, uh, as a classic game of bowling played in a disco-like environment with laser lights, disco lights, black lights, runaway lights, music, and where the lights are turned off and uh, only the pins are lit up. The cosmic bowling is typically played at night and attracts partying singles and couples on a date night. Partying singles and couples on a date night. I actually think you can kind of make the big 10 for that. I think it's for everybody, Mm -hmm. right? And we're going to tell you a story in a sec, but that's a great glow in the dark and those are some really funky descriptions like they've got like it's kind of like a disco light like environment that you talked about ashen uh in some of the research that we've been doing we 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 found as well too that i believe it was brunswick bowling that came up with the this concept and idea you're right it attracts generally a, a younger crowd and um did you know that um, there's different variations of its name so it's um cosmic bowling glow in the dark bowling in fact, it's called galaxy bowling, or in some places in the world, it's called moonlight bowling. What do you think about that? Well, those are some pretty interesting names. Well, it sure is. But, you know, to to our point, folks, everybody, you know, uh, cosmic bowling, glow-in-the-dark bowling is a sport for everyone. And I'm only reminded, Ashton, of uh, a really amazing March break where we actually, uh, we were actually chauffeured. By Uncle Dennis. Yes, we were. We were, and why don't you share that story when we had a cosmic bowling adventure? So we went up to New Market and went to Stellar Lanes, and uh, we had an amazing time bowling. And let's just say I kind of beat everyone in the first round, and then we started to play a second round, and it and it went very very well and um it was just overall a very very fun experience so you're saying you you, you beat us by a country mile 
Yep. You're saying that you bowled um, cosmic bowling and it, it, it's bowling in the dark, but you could have closed your eyes and you could have beat the Power Girls, Uncle Dennis, and your dear old dad, your co-host. Yep. Well, I think you're actually right, Ashton. So great job. You really skunked us that day. We had lots of fun. We had fun talking to you about Cosmic Bowling on our All Pro Go segment. And you're listening, everybody, to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. Father-Son Fun Talk, you're listening to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. So glad that you're with us here for our May episode. It's Anthony and Ashton, the broadcast chair. And Ashton, it's now time for our signature segment. That's right, everybody. It's our Champs and Chums segment where we salute our stars on and off the field. So every episode, uh, we honor a a champ. Ashton's going to do that. I will do a champ. Ashton will honor a chum, and I will do the same. Ashton, over to you for your champ of episode 33. My champ of episode 33 is Austin Matthews. You mean uh, Maddie? Yep. Uh, Big Poppy? Yep. Tone, as they call him in the room? Yep. Wow. Well, that's a great selection for a champ and chum, or a champ. Uh, Why is Austin Matthews your champ? Well, he's an amazing player, and as we all saw in um, in game five of the Stanley Cup, cup uh, playoffs he he scored that game winning goal to make it 4-3 and um and you were one of the 20,000 people in the building that was electrified by number 34 AM 34 what did it feel like to see a guy that you've now anointed as your episode champ uh live and in, in in person well I mean it was a great experience and um I do want to go again didn't you get a chance to fist bump him, I believe? Was that? Yep. That's amazing, too. And, um, that was a regular season game, right? Yeah, and um, uh, as we said earlier in our uh, uh, spo- our um, famous sports mom segment, uh, we, we said that um, he scored four goals in his debut game, and um, he that's why he's just an amazing player. Yeah, well, let's look. Evidence is all in the numbers, everybody, right? This is a this is a, a kid that's got a has been told since he was very young that he's got awesome superstar potential, and he's proven that just by his resume after six years in the NHL. He's played in 407 games, 259 goals, 457 points. I mean, he was the um, uh, the Rocket Richard uh, Trophy winner. He scored 60 goals. That is unheard of almost in this day and age in hockey. So um, Toronto, um, you're kind of witnessing greatness here with Austin Matthews. I know he's... Um, very disappointed. You can see how he how he felt in the post game press conference after losing out to Tampa. I think they felt they had a really good chance to push and get over the hump. But um, you know what? At a, at a minimum, everybody, we've got him for another couple years, I believe. So that's Ashton's champ for episode thirty three is Austin Matthews. Well, Ashton, um, I'm going to uh, no well pun intended dial back to a little bit earlier in the show. And I'm going to uh, let everyone know, and you know, that my champ for episode 33 is We the Norm. That's right. The late night vampire, Stormin' Norm Rumack, the broadcast legend. And uh, 
you know, I says, I said earlier in the show, um, his resume of accomplishments on what he did on, on the air to, to really pioneer late night sports talk radio in the country. Uh, I mean, the fan, uh, at the time was introduced as Canada's first all sports radio station. And for him to really make his mark there, he is such a loyal following his, um, his skill and talent. And, and you could pick that up in terms of how he could bring invigorating, insightful sports talk it is not just sort of, it can be done by anybody. It requires a lot of talent. And uh, so it's for those reasons, um, I'm going to anoint the late night vampire, the lightning rod of lightning rod of controversy, the outlaw of objectivity, the hunter of hammerheads, the basher of basket cases. Norm Rumack is my champ for episode 33. Ashton, over to you for your chum. My chum of episode 33 is my mom. Well, what an appropriate selection for this being a Mother's Day month. Uh, so why is your mom your chum of episode 33? Well, she takes care of me um, when I'm sick or when I'm not feeling well. She helps me with homework and she cares a lot about me. Well, those are some really amazing reasons, and I'm sure you can fill the page uh, with that. So uh, that's a, a great selection. Uh, it's great to have all-star moms in your life. And uh, wow, that's a, that's a great and appropriate selection for episode 33. Good stuff. Well, it's uh, over to Dad here to round out our uh, Champs and Chums segment. And um, it is a double play day here, everybody, for uh, dear old Dad, your co-host here. Because my chum for episode 33, just named him as my champ, that's right, the late night vampire, Stormin' Norm Rumack. And um, some people may not know that I actually have been chums with the late night vampire for over two decades. I was, uh, it, through my time in sports, it was just a pleasure to, to meet him after listening to uh, all his fandom and stardom on the air and to be able to work with him and then to actually guest on multiple um, occasions on his show was just an amazing, uh, amazing um, dream come true. Uh, and getting to know him, you know, he, he obviously has uh, his talents and his skill and his personality on the air, but he's just a, a wonderful giving person off the air. And I've been so um, just grateful to call him a chum over the years. And so, um, for all of those reasons, Normie, you're my chum for episode 33. What a segment since been, and we're going to close this show up, but you're listening to episode 33 of the Champs and Chums podcast. Welcome back to Champs and Chums, episode 33. We're going to put a bow on it here, Ashton. Um, boy, oh boy, it's been such an amazing show here in May. And as I always do, Ashton, I wanted to ask you a question, a very important question. What did you learn today? Well, I learned that Norm, uh, Norman Rumack can do knuckle push-ups. <laughs> That, that's right. Of all of the wonderful talents, that, and I knew he was into the martial arts, right, Ashton? Because, uh, of course, we've been, he's a champ and we've been chums for some time. 
that story he shared, right, when uh, he was work, he was um, practicing with the McNamaras, the the, the the Twin Dragons, was a story to behold. I mean, I believe he said that his shirt was so drenched you could wring it out like it, as if it was in a pool of water. Yep. Well, that was a great story. Well, it was great to have Norm on the show, and we'll talk about him in a sec. But what else did you learn? Well, I learned that cosmic bowling is also called uh, moonlight bowling. That's right, and it's gl- called glow-in-the-dark bowling as well, too. Uh, lots of different... Um, it was a great to kind of reflect on that, right? It, it's, uh, it's, it's sports entertainment at its best. It's all in the dark, and it was quite a great fit for this show where we featured the late-night vampire. Uh, good stuff. Well, we wanted to uh, say our big thank yous, as we always do. Uh, we want to thank Stormin Norm Rumack for joining us uh, on the program, the, the broadcast legend. It was so great to have him and catch up with him on this show. Uh, Ashton, who else do we want to thank? We want to thank the Power Girls and Uncle Dennis who helped produce the show. That's right, everybody. And if you haven't had a chance, you can subscribe to Champs and Chums. Ashton, where can they listen and check us out? iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Podbean, and CastBox. Champs and Chums is also on social, everybody, so follow us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, at Champs and Chums, and our website, champsandchums.com. Ashton, this is going to be a magnificent, a marvelous May fist bump. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And Ashton, as we always say, cheers to champs, cheers to chums, and cheers to an all-star day. Thanks for listening.